I'm Juwita Gupta, and this is The Pulse. It's time for our holiday tradition. If you listen regularly, you know that the end of the year is usually when we do our annual short story read. In the past, I've called it the Christmas story, but more recently, I think that might be a little misleading. After all, though the stories often center on Christmas, that's true, the lessons in them apply to everyone, people of all faith. Holidays are times for family and friends, but it can become a stressful time for some people. Holiday stories, or Christmas stories if you really want to, cut through the noise and trappings of the holiday to get to the sentiments at the heart of the festivities. Today, we read The Gift of the Magi. It's time to put your finger on the pulse. Hello and welcome to The Pulse on AMI-audio. I'm Juwita Gupta. I always look forward to this particular episode of the program. It's not to say that I don't spend the year talking to some incredible people, doing wonderful work in their communities, doing fantastic research, and I don't always feel deeply privileged to have the opportunity to speak to each and every one of them about their accomplishments. But there's something really wonderful about the story that we read at the end of each year not least because I don't really have very much to do and I don't have to ask too many questions. My husband, Andy Lair, who you may recognize because I often talk about him on the show, uh, bringing up the odd anecdote here or there, every year graciously agrees to read our Christmas story or our holiday stories. And um, sometimes he picks them, sometimes I pick them. But holiday stories really do have a very special place in our heart. And so I've always liked to be able to share this particular family tradition with all of you. And I hope you'll enjoy this year's offering, which is the Gift of the Magi, a personal favorite. I think Andy loves it too when he read it in school. Let me waste no further time talking and let me welcome in Andy Lair, my husband. Hello, Andy. Welcome back to the program. Hi. We're reading the Gift of the Magi. What can you tell us about this particular short story? Uh, well, it was uh, it was written by O. Henry uh, in 1905, um, and it's set in in New York. And it's uh, it's a story that's been um, kind of, you know, adapted or referenced a number of times in, in, in popular culture. You know, it's something that you often see in, um, you know, a sitcom or drama will kind of do their own spin on it as a, as a, as a, as a, as a sort of a Christmas special. Um, yeah, and it's, I think it's a well-known cult story that's kind of seeped into the culture, although perhaps not everybody's actually uh, read the, actual, the original source material. They, they, they they will recognize the story, I'm pretty sure. So when you say O. Henry, you're not talking about the chocolate bar, you're talking about the author, O. Henry, <laughs> just so we're clear. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. He was an, <laughs> he was an American uh, um, writer. I think he wrote this. He was also in jail for some time, so I'm not sure if the, he wrote he wrote this when he was in jail. He was in jail for, uh, for fraud. Oh, but, dear. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm, not, I'm not sure if it involves the items in this story or not, but... Um, all right, so The Gift of the Magi is one of several short stories that he is famous for. Um, it's off, it is very easy to get a collection of his uh, short stories and have a read. Today, of course, we're reading the one that is set uh, around the Christmas theme, that is The Gift of the Magi. And you want to go ahead and read it out for us. Uh, sure. Okay. The, uh, the Gift of the Magi by O. Henry. $1.87. That was all. She had put it aside one cent and then another and then another 
in her careful buying of meat and other food. Della counted it three times, $1.87, and the next day would be Christmas. There was nothing to do but fall on the bed and cry, so Della did it. While the lady of the home is slowly growing quieter, we can look at the home. Furnished rooms at a cost of $8 a week. There's little more to say about it. In the hall below was a letterbox too small to hold a letter. There was an electric bell, but it could not make a sound. Also, there was a name beside the door, Mr. James Dellingham Young. When the name was placed there, Mr. James Dillingham Young was being paid $30 a week. Now, when he was being paid only $20 a week, the name seemed too long and important. It should perhaps have been Mr. James D. Young, but when Mr. James Dillingham Young entered the furnished rooms, his name became very short indeed. Mrs. James Dillingham Young put her arms warmly around him and called him Jim. You have already met her. She is Della. Della finished her crying and cleaned the marks of it from her face. She stood by the window and looked out with no interest. Tomorrow would be Christmas Day, and she had only $1.87 with which to buy Jim a gift. She had put aside as much as she could for months with this result. $20 a week is not much. Everything had cost more than she had expected. It always happened like that. Only $1.87 to buy a gift for Jim, her Jim. She had had many happy hours planning something nice for him, something nearly good enough, something almost worth the honor of belonging to Jim. There was a looking glass between the windows of the room. Perhaps you've seen the kind of looking glass that is placed in $8 furnished rooms. It was very narrow. A person could see only a little of himself at a time. However, if he was very thin and moved very quickly, he might be able to get a good view of himself. Della, being quite thin, had mastered this art. Suddenly, she turned from the window and stood before the glass. Her, wind, sorry, her eyes were shining brightly, but her face had lost its color. Quickly, she pulled down her hair and let it fall to its complete length. The James Dillingham Youngs were very proud of two things which they owned. One thing was Jim's gold watch. It had belonged once to his father, and long ago it had belonged to his father's father. The other thing was Della's hair. If a queen had lived in the rooms near theirs, Della would have washed and dried her hair where the queen could see it. Della knew her hair was more beautiful than any queen's jewels and gifts. If a king had lived in the same house with all his riches, Jim would have looked at his watch every time they met. Jim knew that no king had anything so valuable. So now Della's beautiful hair fell about her, shining like a falling stream of brown water. It reached below her knee. It almost made itself into a dress for her. And then she put it up on her hair again, nervously and quickly. Once she stopped for a moment and stood still, while a tear or two ran down her face. She put on her old brown coat. She put on her old brown hat. With the bright light still in her eyes, she moved quickly out the door and down the street. Where she stopped, the sign said, Mrs. Son sorry, Mrs. Sophronie, hair articles of all kinds. Up to the second floor, Della ran and stopped to get her breath. Mrs. Sophronie, large, too white, cold-eyed, 
looked at her. Will you buy my hair? asked Della. I buy hair, said Mrs. Hawkerny. Take your hat off and let me look at it. Down fell the brown waterfall. Twenty dollars, said Mrs. Sofrini, lifting the hair to feel its weight. Give it to me quick, said Della. Oh, and the next two hours seemed to fly. She was going from one shop to another to find a gift for Jim. She found it at last. It surely had been made for Jim and no one else. There was no other like it in any of the shops, and she had looked in every shop in the city. It was a gold watch chain, very simply made. Its value was in its rich and pure material. Because it was so plain and simple, you knew that it was very valuable. All good things are like this. It was good enough for the watch. As soon as she saw it, she knew that Jim must have it. It was like him, quietness and value. Jim and the chain both had quietness and value. She paid $21 for it, and she hurried home with the chain and 87 cents. With that chain on his watch, Jim could look at his watch and learn the time anywhere he might be. Though the watch was so fine, it had never had a fine chain. He sometimes took it out and looked at it only when no one, else, no one could see him do it. When Della arrived home, her mind quieted a little. She began to think more reasonably. She started to try to cover the sad marks of what she had done. Love and large-hearted giving when added together, can leave deep marks. It is never easy to cover these marks, dear friends, never easy. Within 40 minutes, her head looked a little better. With her short hair, she looked wonderfully like a schoolboy. She stood at the looking glass for a long time. If Jim doesn't kill me, she said to herself, before he looks at me a second time, he'll say I look like a girl who sings and dances for money. But what could I do? Oh. What could I do with a dollar and eighty-seven cents? At seven, Jim's dinner was ready for him. Jim was never late. Della held a watch chain in her hand and sat near the door where he always entered. Then she heard her step in the hall, and her face lost color for a moment. She often said little prayers quietly about simple everyday things, and now she said, Please, God, make him think I'm still pretty. The door opened, and Jim stepped in. He looked very thin, and he was not smiling. Poor fellow, he was only 22, and with a family to take care of. He needed a new coat, and he had nothing to cover his cold hands. Jim stopped inside the door. He was as quiet as a hunting dog when it is near a bird. His eyes looked strangely at Della, and there was an expression in them that she could not understand. It filled her with fear. It was not anger, nor surprise, nor anything she had been readying for. He simply looked at her with that strange expression on his face. Della went to him. Jim, dear, she cried, don't look at me like that. I had my hair cut off and sold it. I couldn't live through Christmas without giving you a gift. My hair will grow again. You won't care, will you? My hair grows very fast. It's Christmas, Jim. Let's be happy. You don't know what a nice, what a beautiful, nice gift I got for you. You've, you've cut off your hair, asked Jim slowly. He seemed to labor to understand what happened. He seemed not to feel sure he knew. Cut it off and sold it, said Della. Don't you like me now? I'm me, Jim. I'm the same without my hair. 
Jim looked around the room. You say your hair is gone, he said. You don't have to look for it, said Della. It's sold, I tell you. Sold and gone, too. It's the night before Christmas, boy. Be good to me, because I sold it for you. Maybe the hairs of my head should be, should be counted, she said, but no one could ever count my love for you. Shall we eat dinner, Jim? Jim put his arms around his Della. For ten seconds, let us look in another direction. Eight dollars a week or a million dollars a year, how different are they? Someone may give you an answer, but it will be wrong. The Magi brought valuable gifts, but that was not among them. My meaning will be explained soon. From inside the coat, Jim took something tied in paper. He threw it upon the table. I want you to understand me, Del, he said. Nothing like a haircut could make me love you any less, but if you'll open that, you may know what I felt when I came in. White fingers pulled off the paper, and then a cry of joy, and then a change of tears. For there lay the combs, the combs that Della had seen in the shop window and loved for a long time. Beautiful combs with jewels, perfect for her beautiful hair. She had known they cost too much for her to buy them. She had looked at them without the least hope of owning them, and now they were hers, but her hair was gone. But she held them to her heart and at last was able to look up and said, My hair grows so fast, Jim. And then she jumped up and cried, Oh, oh, Jim had not yet seen his beautiful gift. She held it out to him in her open hand. The gold seemed to shine softly, as if with her own warm and loving spirit. Isn't it perfect, Jim? I hunted all over town to find it. You'll have to look at your watch a hundred times a day now. Give me your watch. I want to see how they look together. Jim sat down and smiled. Della said he, let's put our Christmas gifts away and keep them a while. They're too nice to use now. I sold the watch to get the money to buy the combs, and now I think we should have our dinner. The Magi, as you know, were wise men, wonderfully wise men, who brought gifts to the newborn Christ child. They were the first to give Christmas gifts. Being wise, their gifts were doubtless wise ones. And here I have told you the story of two children who were not wise. Each sold the most valuable thing he owned in order to buy a gift for the other. But let me speak a last word to the wise of these days. Of all who give gifts, these two were the most wise. Of all who give and receive gifts, such as they are the most wise. Everywhere, they are the wise ones. They are the magi. That was really incredible. Thank you, Andy. That was really well read. There is so much that we can talk about about this particular story. What is it that you love about it? Uh, well, it's you know, it's a, there's an ironic twist, obviously, but it's the fact that I mean, it's a story about love, and that um, when you love, you're willing to give up what's most valuable to you. So here, are these two, you know, love each other in the purest way because they were willing to give up the things that were most precious to them. And the irony, of course, is that they gave it up in order to buy a gift that um, for the other person, you know, to help supplant, to help uh, complement something, the, the very thing that the other person gave up. If that makes sense. 
if that makes sense. But, um, yeah, it's an interesting. It's it's interesting because I think there are parallels that people can identify with. Um, a lot of people would be struck by the imagery or the the very beginning of the play, where you know it's been a tough year. The his wage has gone down. He's no longer making thirty dollars an hour. He's now making twenty. And everything else is going up in price. And I think it's something that a lot of people can relate to, especially these days where it feels like our salaries, our wages aren't going up as fast as the cost of everything. And I wonder how many people will be looking at, you know, what they put aside for holiday gifts and thinking, uh, you know, I don't know if I have enough for everybody. Uh, gift giving during the holidays is such a wonderful thing to do. It's a way to show your love and appreciation for for family and to tell somebody that you care about them. But it can also, I think, become a source of tremendous stress for people uh, trying to think about whether they included everybody for and you know got everybody the right gift. Um, and when you have a large family or you have a lot of gift giving to do, it can really start to add up. And I think a lot of people are going to maybe be thinking, my God, it's been a, a tough year. Uh, how am I gonna make that, how am I gonna make uh, gifts to everybody. And I think the story, at least, you know, what, what is nice about it is thinking through the, the, the sentiment behind the holiday, you know, the sacrifice and the fact that people are willing to give up the one thing that was most valuable to them in order to do something wonderful for the other person. And I think as we start to think about gift giving during the holidays, it is worth contemplating other ways of gifting that might not require buying things necessarily, but might require giving gifts that are of a more sentimental nature or that really get to the heart of who a person is. So I wonder if you had some thoughts as well about how a story like this might get people to think differently about gift giving during the holidays. Well, I'm not sure if this is what you meant, but it might it might get people to think about maybe... Um asking the other person what they want before you buy the gifts. <laughs> uh, or coordinating your gifts more. But, um, I, you know, I think maybe also it's that, that it's not the material gift that matters so much as um, the sentiment behind it. So perhaps if um, you spend less on focus on the, on the material thing and more on, more on the feeling, um, then... Perhaps it's better for everyone, but uh, I don't think that's actually the message of the story necessarily. But that might be a, something that's a wisdom that people might want to uh, consider. Yeah, I think you know. Last year we read the necklace, and this year, of course, we're reading the gift of the magi. And I feel like this juxtaposition between the material and the spiritual, or the um, you know, the trappings of a holiday versus, you know, getting at the emotion behind the holiday is a, is a theme that seems to run through both of them in uh, a number of different ways. Do you feel that part of the problem is that holidays like Christmas have become far too commercial, where there's increasing pressure to buy gifts for people? Because even with Della, you, you know, she kind of says, I have to have a gift that is worthy of Jim. So, you know, just getting him any old gift wouldn't do. It had to be something that was good enough for him, whether that's an expression of love, which undoubtedly in this case it was, or if it's an expression that, you know, where a lot of people feel that my gift has to has to be good enough. Uh, or, you know, we have expectations about, you know, the kinds of gifts people will receive on the holidays. And, you know, maybe we need to 
um, match up to some kind of an ideal in our minds or, I don't know, some kind of a social media ideal. I wonder if there's a little bit of, of, of pressure that people put on themselves too around the holidays to make sure that they're gifting appropriately. Well, yeah, I mean, pressure, especially on people who, who you might not have the means to, to buy gifts. I mean, it's often, I mean, these are, these are uh, people who are in, not impoverished, but they're, 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 in, they're struggling and uh, they're under pressure I don't know if it's social pressure or or or, or, or what have you, but, uh, uh, pressure to kind of go far beyond their means to uh, to uh, in order to um, to fulfill this uh, this obligation. Um, yeah, so perhaps you know, and 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 actually, one point, one thing the story says is uh, you know Jim doesn't have gloves, and I don't I think he's not dressed warmly enough, so. You know, but instead of buying a coat or buying gloves, uh, Della buys a uh, uh, a watch chain, which is um, not you know it's it, it's not a very practical gift. It's, it's 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 quite extravagant, and you know perhaps there was something Della needed more than than combs. So um, maybe that's kind of hinted at as well that uh, you uh, you should actually. Con- you shouldn't you shouldn't overlook your circumstances and overlook your actual need when you're when you're thinking about uh, gift giving. Well, I mean, and yet it feels like almost almost as though you and I are drifting a bit further away from what the story is really getting at, which is that you know, I mean, in, you know, he says that in a lot of ways he, they were foolish children, but perhaps wiser than a lot of us, and you know, about about you know, the, the sentiment and the, and the emotion and the love that they feel for each other and the sacrifice. Well, because here you have the sacrifice. Yeah. You, it's, it's a self-sacrifice. That's, that's, I think. That's the central theme to this. Yeah, no, it's a, it's great. And you know, sometimes, but it does make me think about also gift giving in a more creative way. Um, some of my best gifts, some of my, the most memorable gifts I've gotten have actually been uh, homemade, uh, you know, sweaters that people have knitted for me or crafts that they've done for me. Have you ever gotten a gift, Christmas or otherwise, that was really special to you? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a trick question. Uh, I, I, I don't have a catalog of gifts. I don't really recall offhand what gifts I've gotten. Um, I've not really been a big... I mean, I think the, the gifts we... I, I think some of the gifts that I've appreciated more are, are sort of... Um, um, events or experiences so you know going to going to a play or going to a concert or going on um, going on a trip or something like that um, so nothing really tangible but just things that are that can give you an experience and a memory I think I think those are also good gifts that's an excellent idea I think giving people gift the gift of an experience is so valuable because they carry those memories with them for the rest of their lives and so there are so many wonderful options uh, things that you can do as a whole family even like you said going to a play uh, maybe you know a day at an, at an amusement park there are so many possibilities here. 
Uh, and the other practical the, the other practical side of thing of, of this is that people are now increasingly living in apartments and condos, so they don't have a lot of room for a ton of stuff. Uh, but anyways, uh, I know this particular story went by really fast, and uh, I appreciate that you were willing to hang around and chat with me a little bit about it, and uh, and for doing such an excellent job reading it, as you always do. Uh, but also, you know, spending a bit of time helping to unpack this particular story. I hope you'll come back next year, and we'll do another read. Sure, sure. No, I'd love to, sure. Well, thank you very much, Andy. It was great having you back on the program. Okay, thank you. Andy Lair is my husband and uh, the person who does ever so graciously read our annual holiday story. That was the gift of the Magi. I hope you enjoyed listening to it. And if you have any thoughts about the story or any of the discussion that followed, please leave them down below in the comments section. You can also write to us at feedback at ami.ca. Give us a call at 1-866-509-4545. That's 1-866-509-4545. Don't forget to leave permission to play the audio on the program. You can also find us on X at AMI-audio. Use the hashtag PulseAMI to indicate the tweet is directed to the program. And if you'd like to find me on X, I'm available at Juhita Gupta. That's all the time we have for today. On behalf of everyone who makes the Pulse possible, I'd like to wish you a happy holidays, and I hope you and your family have a wonderful and safe holiday season together. We will, of course, be bringing you more, pro more programming in the New Year's. The Pulse is made possible through the contribution of a large group of people. Our videographer today is Matthew McGurk. Jordan Steves is our video editor. Mark Aflalo is our technical producer. Ryan Delahanty is the coordinator for AMI-audio podcasts. Andy Frank is the manager for AMI-audio. And I've been your host, Shweta Gupta. Thanks so much for listening. And once again, happy holidays. Mm -hmm.